Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Katie Martin, our markets editor, Alice Ross, our wealth correspondent, and in Sydney, Jamie Smith, our Australian correspondent. This week, we'll be discussing dry January in the capital markets. Also a look at Australia's banks as a looming clampdown comes from the government and wealth managers. Why are they flailing? First, though, to that story about dry January, as you put it, Katie, a piece that you published on Monday, I think, about the record low levels of equity and debt issuance into the markets. Why has it been such a torrid time? Yeah, it's been a really slow start to the year. And, um, you know, bankers are doing what bankers do best, which is being extremely optimistic and cheerful about it. But there's no glossing over the fact that January has been extremely quiet in terms of the new bonds that have come to market and in terms of companies listing on the stock market for the first time. So in the UK, we've had our smallest number of new bond deals hit the market since 1995. We've had under 20 come to market, which is about half the amount from the previous year, and the amount raised has fallen by two thirds. There's a pretty obvious reason for that. I think one banker described it as the B word. Companies are just far too busy getting ready for Brexit to think about raising money for acquisitions or for buying big fancy pieces of machinery or whatever. They're sitting on their hands to wait and see what happens in March and they're just not interested in raising new money at the moment. For equity capital markets, it's a slightly different picture. It's not that unusual to see very few or even no IPOs in the UK or Europe in the January of a particular year. But it's very unusual in the US. So last year, for example, we had 18 companies come to market. This year we've had one. And the simple reason for that is that there was a partial shutdown of the US government, which was the longest in US history. That made it really difficult for companies to get the paperwork done that they needed to go public. In addition, the end of last year and the very beginning of this year were marked by some actually surprisingly violent moves in markets. You know, normally over the Christmas week, for example, everyone just packs up and goes home and the markets go to sleep. This year they went completely haywire. And again, that has put companies off the whole quite cumbersome process of coming to market. And I think there's an extent to which they are just sitting on their hands and waiting to see what happens before they take the big leap. Bankers say that the second half of the month and particularly the final week of the month did pick up. And so they think that the start of January was a bit of a blip, but it was pretty dry. And they do like to talk about pipeline, don't they? That The pipeline is bursting, ready for all of these deals to come through once the US logjam is ended and once the Brexit uncertainty is over and so on. Yeah. Do you believe them? It's certainly plausible. I mean, there is a realistic argument that especially because markets, particularly in the US, started selling off around October last year. So there's been a long run of kind of market turbulence. Companies either tried to get ahead of it by going in the autumn with their fundraising efforts or they're putting it off until 
after this passes. But, you know, the sentiment from bankers, at least, and they are the kind of estate agents of the finance world, they are endlessly optimistic, is that this will pass and that there is a really strong pipeline. Banks are saying there's a long queue of companies that are just desperate to come to market with new bonds, desperate to launch their IPOs. We'll see whether that actually happens. But certainly in the UK, it's difficult to see markets picking up until April. And even that is contingent on what actually ends up happening with Brexit. It does feel like the first quarter of the year in terms of banks' results or investment banks' results is going to suffer as a result, as indeed the fourth quarter did to some extent as well. Thanks very much for the update, Katie. Let's move on now to a look at Australia's banks. And we're joined by Jamie Smith, our correspondent there. Jamie, thanks ever so much for joining us. Now, there's been a Royal Commission report on the Australian banking system. What exactly was this inquiry all about? Well, the report was published on Monday. It follows a year-long inquiry, which saw bank executives and regulators questioned in public by skilled lawyers about their behaviour and business practices. There were about 10,000 complaints submitted to the Royal Commission about potential misconduct, and this ranged from the charging of fees for no service, even to dead customers in some cases, poor lending practices, and the mis-selling of insurance and other financial products. It was a big reputational hit for the banks and it caused several senior executives and board members to resign. So it has had an impact even before the report was published. The inquiry concluded that a combination of greed, dishonesty and poor governance within the finance sector, as well as lax regulation, enabled banks and other financial services companies to rip off their customers over many years. It makes 76 recommendations, which mainly focus on strengthening regulation and encouraging timid watchdogs to seek more criminal and civil prosecutions to ensure that executives and bank boards do not step out of line. It made 24 referrals of individuals and institutions to regulators to consider further charges. And in these cases, the commissioner felt that they may have broken the law. The report also recommends banning certain commissions paid to brokers and financial advisors and overhauling regulation to scrutinise the culture and the remuneration across the financial sector. But rather than proposing sweeping new regulations or a lot of new laws, its focus is mainly on making regulators enforce the existing laws. Now, does this report go far enough? Because the bank's shares soared on the day. That suggests maybe it was a little timid. Well, when the stock market opened this morning in Sydney, shares in the big four banks surged with investors relieved that the report had not proposed more structural changes to the banking industry. There had been speculation that the Commission may force banks to shed their wealth management arms where conflicts of interest had been identified and there was a lot of mis-selling of products identified during the Commission. But the report didn't do that. There was also no recommended changes to the responsible lending rules This would have forced banks, if it had have been recommended, to further tighten lending criteria, but it didn't do this either. So most investors are betting that banks will continue to enjoy the fat margins which they enjoy here in Australia, which are amongst the highest in the world, because the structure of the industry won't be changed by these recommendations. However, in stark contrast to the performance of banking shares this morning, the mortgage broking sector was hammered. Two of Australia's biggest brokers, the Australia Finance Group and Mortgage Choice, lost a third and a quarter of their value respectively in the share market this morning. 
The inquiry's recommendation to bar lenders from paying commission to brokers really threatens their business models. They've relied on these often recurring payments over the lifetimes of mortgages, which they've arranged for customers to make profits. And in the future, the inquiry is proposing that only consumers should pay brokers. And this would avoid conflicts of interest, but it would also undermine the mortgage broking industry. Finally and crucially, Jamie, will this report be implemented? Well, the government has said it will implement most of the recommendations, but it is resisting the proposal to bar lenders from paying a commission to brokers. It argues this would dent competition in the mortgage market and could disrupt credit flows. And at this present time in Australia, there are concerns about declining house prices because credit flows have slowed during this Royal Commission as lenders have been forced to look at irresponsible lending practices, which they've had in the past. However, we have an election coming up here in Australia, probably in May, and the Labour Party, which is ahead in the opinion polls, says it will implement all of these recommendations in the report. In fact, it says it may go even further and impose other imposts on the sector. So it's not over yet. And I think the banking sector and the mortgage broking sector will be eagerly awaiting to see who wins that election in May. Thanks ever so much, Jamie. Finally, let's take a look at the wealth management sector. Now, this is an area of finance which very much has been in growth mode over the past few years. It's been very fashionable for banks such as UBS to repurpose their group and focus more closely on wealth management and downplay their focus on areas such as investment banking, thinking that wealth managers are a much more stable growth story. But we've seen some disappointing results from the likes of UBS and this week Julius Baer. Alice, why is this? What's gone wrong with this stable story? Well, I think what people are realising is that the story of wealth management is actually quite similar to the story of asset management insofar as their fortunes are going to rise or fall in line with what's happening in global markets. And that's certainly the story that we are hearing from the wealth managers themselves. Julius Baer this week basically had some quite disappointing numbers. It had a 13 billion Swiss franc fall in assets under management for the fourth quarter. That's down from 382 billion, which is about a 3.4% loss. Not massive, but, you know, also not good. And of course, driven by the fourth quarter market slide that you saw in markets across the globe. That is also affecting their profitability. So for the whole year last year, Julius Baer had a 1% rise in pre-tax profits. But that came against an 18% rise in the first half of the year. So you're seeing quite a significant impact. And UBS as well. And you're also seeing... FTSE 100 listed companies specialising in wealth management, Hargreaves, Lansdowne, we've seen St James's Place. Both of those have said that they've had disappointing results in the first month of the year and they've basically blamed Brexit. But it shows that it's not just Brexit that's the issue, it's the wider implications of what's happening with global markets. Now, we interviewed you and I, Nicolas Pictet, from another big Swiss name in this sector, specialising in private banking, asset management. And they seem to be doing rather better relatively. What's going on there? 
Well, I think from chatting to him, he was really keen to stress the fact that Pictet is partner owned. Uh, They've got their seven partners making the decision. They're a private company, obviously. They're not accountable to shareholders. And what he was saying was that they were able to be counterintuitive with markets, so make countercyclical decisions. So they were saying that they were planning to hire a lot more headcount this year and poach from other wealth managers. But he did also say that he thought it would be a bad year for the wealth management industry. So the fact that they are saying that they're are going to do more hiring isn't necessarily a sign that they actually think things are good for the industry because they don't. But they don't need to worry about quarterly results as so many of the other banks do. So they say. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Alice. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Katie and Alice here in the studio. And thank you to Jamie in Sydney. Thanks for listening. If you're not already an FT subscriber, do take a look at our latest subscription offer at ft.com slash offer. And remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.